Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with Meat Chua Tian Tian. Now, have you ever wondered where the meat we eat comes from? That's exactly what we are going to find out today. Now, headquartered in Singapore, our guest Jabfa specializes in producing protein staples and packaged food that feeds millions of people. Now, put simply, the company produces animal feed such as poultry feed, cattle feed, and aquaculture feed, and it breeds animals such as a、uh, chicken. Pigs, fish, and cows fatten them before processing and distributing them. Now, Jetfa has a workforce of over thirty-eight thousand people across an integrated network of modern farming, processing, and distribution facilities in Indonesia, Vietnam, India, Myanmar, and Bangladesh. But what are the benefits of being vertically integrated, and which are the key markets for Jetfa? Also, how is the company diversifying its revenue streams in a post-pandemic world, and how does Jetfa? Position itself in a high inflationary environment where consumers are squeezed by price increases. Well, for more, let's speak to Tan Yongnang, CEO of Jatfa. Yongnang, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Great to have you on board with us. And we've briefly touched on this, Yongnang, about how Jatfa is a meat provider involved in every step of the meat production process, from farm to、uh, supermarket, at least, right? So, tell us more about your value proposition and business model, then. Yes,、yeah, very interesting. You opened your conversation by saying that. Know, do we know where the meat come from? Interestingly, you know, for for people who have never been to the farm, right? Especially some of the younger generation, it's really funny. There was once I asked a few younger younger generations to ask them, you know, have you been to a farm? Have you ever seen pigs? Have you ever seen live、uh, chicken? And the answer was, well, I thought chicken come from a、uh, table. You know, it sort of、uh, they only seen the sort of processed chicken. Now our business proposition is quite different, as you rightly pointed out. Actually, we come all the way. You can say that it's a cater to to. Actually, you can say it's a farm to、uh, farm to the table.、Uh, we are very vertically integrated.、Um, we process all the way from the、uh, animal feed, and from animal feed, I think our strength is say is a modern farms. We are in the modern farming, which grow up, and our output is mainly、uh, livestocks. And、uh, after that, actually, we further process it into、uh, into either sort of carcass or cutter meat, and、uh, in terms also further process into sausages,、uh, chicken wings, and packaging the food that you see in the supermarket. So in the supermarket, you can see a light product, or、uh, sorry, a carcass product, which is a cutter product or a food product. So in that sense, we are quite、um, vertically、uh, integrated.、Mm. Okay, and I understand Jaffa has a workforce of over thirty-eight thousand people, mostly spread across your network of facilities in ASEAN. But take us through your current footprint across the region. Yeah, I, our biggest market is still Indonesia. I think we started in Indonesia about fifty-two years ago. That's how we started. So we started there uh, uh, in the mainly, I'll say, initially in the poultry product. Then over time, we have diversified into into beef, into aquaculture, and other sort of animal protein. For instance, like、uh, we are also in the milk production. At the same time, we also expanded geographically,、uh, using what we learned in Indonesia. We diversified ourselves into、uh, Vietnam and India, and largely over the market in、uh, in the poultry product. But over time, actually, we also add on a new protein, which is a swine product. And today, we are one of the leading players in Vietnam, 
also in soy products. So this is our general footprint. And prior to end of last year, in fact, which we do have a fairly substantial operation in China in production of raw milk. We are one of the biggest uh, players in China and one of the pioneers there. And, and through a corporate action that we conducted last year, we actually spit it up and uh, spin it off uh, directly to our shareholders. So our China business today is owned directly by the, by the shareholders, and it is also listed uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, uh, so today, you see specifically the topic of Java, our focus area of footprint is in uh, Southeast Asia and South Asia itself, I think, easily. We are talking about 500 million people in Southeast Asia. We are talking about a billion people in, uh, in, uh, in uh, more than a billion people in South China. And then that is uh, today Jaffa's footprint. As mm. to our sister company, um, uh, Aus Asia, obviously, their footprint will be a, lo- a lot more, more focusing in the China market. Mm. You were talking about some numbers, 5 million and, and more. Those were the number of customers that you sort of serve, right? No, I'm saying that the potential market is 500 uh, million people. Now, if you look at the most market in which we operate, right, actually, uh, we do have a substantial market share in the farming side. Uh, um, a lot of area, actually, we do have a market share of 20 to 30%, which actually counts ourselves as one of the top two or three uh, players. And that, that is really our strategy. Our strategy is actually, you know, providing uh, um, affordable protein sources to the masses. So, mm. so for us, it's actually the market must be, must be big enough and we must achieve the leading, one of the leading uh, market positioning in order to service the mass market and to create, uh, to, to, to achieve a leading market position as well. Mm. And let's talk about industry positioning, Yongnang. How does Jabfa position itself against the other major players in the industry? Uh, I was looking at some names. Uh, would you consider farms or meat processors, the likes of Saha Farms or Thai German Meat Product Company, Chop Hop Chong Food Industries, would you consider them to be your competitors then? I think I think we have competitors in many sort of the different parts of our value chain. I would say that uh, in terms of upstream farming side, right, yeah, I think we are one of the biggest players in, uh, in, as I say, Southeast Asia and, uh, and uh, South China, uh, South Asia. Uh, so, so those are, there are quite a few major players in there, for instance, like CP, uh, Charan Popan, we are talking about people like Leong Hap and things like that. Uh, uh, so I think in different value chain, for us, for us in, the, uh, uh, in terms of processing, we are also uh, competing fiercely in the food market. Uh, under the brand name of So Good and So Nice uh, in Indonesia. Uh, so we have all sorts of uh, different competitors, different areas, but suffice to say that everywhere we go to, right, we try to achieve our leading uh, positioning market share. Now, but actually another area I want to talk about is other than the modern farms, right, we are also competing with a lot of traditional farms. In a lot of uh, business, for instance, like the swine market in, uh, in Vietnam, it is still not that well uh, structured. It's still not that well organized. We do have a lot of competitors still in the traditional market. And so we also compete against them uh, in, that, in, in, in that area. I think that the, the, the big difference of our basis of competition with a lot of players, I would say that is that, uh, first of all, uh, is through economies of scale. As I said, we have a fairly substantial market uh, footprint that actually afford us a fairly good um, economies of scale. 
Now, at the same time, actually, we also focus a lot of our technical know-how. Uh, because of the years of uh, experience, we do acquire a lot of technical know-how. And this is where we can compete very effectively, not only against the uh, other industrialized players, but actually far more importantly, we can compete with the, the smaller farmers. Okay, you talked about competition with the smaller farmers and modern farmers. So I'm just going to put these two questions together. Uh, first of all is how would you define uh, a modern farmer versus a traditional farmer? And the second thing is uh, what are the benefits of being vertically integrated when it comes to cost savings and as you mentioned, economies of scale as well? I think it is that for a more modern farm farming and such as ourselves, right, there are two things that separate us from traditional farmer. Clearly, I think the way we approach at the farm level we utilize a lot of uh, different machinery system. For instance, like like traditional chicken houses, chicken could could be an open house based on the they are subject to the environment. Whereas for modern farming, we tend to use a closed house, whereby the whole place is uh, uh, what called temperature control. The feeding system could be more automatic, so that the uh, the chicken or the pigs, you know, would have a better environment and more controlled environment. So that is slight differentiation there. But it, actually, even more important is actually, you know, for most modern farmers like ourselves, right, the business is very, in farming business is quite well segmented. You have the breeding side, then you have the growing up side. Uh, most farmers, they wouldn't have the economies of scale to build the breeding side of business. So for instance, just give you an example, right, I think, I think if you have uh, uh, the breeding side on the pig side, for instance, you need to start with grandparent stocks. The hierarchy is very clear. And then that will give you the parent stock and eventually the final stock that is then used that we feed it and grow up in the commercial farming. So a lot of traditional farmers, a lot of smaller farmers, they tend to buy the, the piglets from bigger industry players like ourselves. And they will commercialize it. They will basically, uh, we call it commercial operation. They will grow it up. So as an industrial farmer, modern farmer, you tend to participate also on the breeding side. And the breeding side, that requires a lot more technical know-how and economies of skill. I was alluding to just now, for instance, if you start off with one great parent stock, you know, that's even with 600 grand, sorry, 600 great grand parent stocks, right? You may eventually end up with four or five million pigs per year. Uh, that, that's a huge number. So just give you a skill to, to give you some understanding that in order to have uh, the, the upside, the, the, up, the upstream part of the, uh, of the breeding operation, you really need to have economies of scale to support only 600 great grandparent stock. Similarly, I think this business, the biggest cost is actually raw materials. Uh, and as we come bigger and bigger, I think you do have better purchasing power. And uh, as a group, we group together our purchasing of our raw materials. And, uh, you know, most of the raw materials, sometimes you import by bulk. For instance, you can import by uh, Panamax. Smaller player, they, they won't have the ability to do so. And therefore, I think the cost difference will be quite different. Mm. And uh, let's take a look at the wider business environment, Yongnan. Countries in Asia and ASEAN in particular, <coughs> they are going through so-called... Uh, Mitification phase where you know then people are demanding more meat. Uh, according to Report Linker, uh, which is a market research firm, the APEC edible meat market projected to register a CAGR of around 1.95 percent between 2022 and 2028. Demand mostly coming in from China. Uh, what's the situation like for you across the different markets? Which kinds of meat are in demand? <coughs> well, actually, actually, 
uh, if you look at Southeast Asia market, right, I think um, the per capita consumption of meat is still fairly low. Uh, so if you look at per capita consumption of chicken in Indonesia, right, we are talking about maybe about 10, 11 kilo of, of chicken meat per person per year. And that is really small. If you compare to a similar market in Malaysia, right, you are talking about 40 kilo. So, so actually, there's a, still a long way to grow. Uh, similarly, if you look at Vietnam, like the, the capital consumption of uh, pork is still way below uh, Thailand and still way below uh, China. So I would say the growth is everywhere. It's not just China. I think China growth is, is, is good. It's very robust. And I also coupled by China have a much, much larger population. But, but putting that aside, if you look at the area in which we are operating in, you will find that actually the per capita income is still very low and still uh, a long way to go. Um, uh, Southeast Asia, we are still taking about fairly massive population. And if you look at the consumption pattern historically, right, a country whereby their per capita income maybe is less than $5,000, you tend to see that you will be at a level whereby the meat consumption would still be fairly low. And because of affordability issue, the consumption doesn't grow that quickly. And on the other extreme, you will look at the country that have a very high income, for instance, like the Western world, right, where the income is very high. You can see that beyond certain point, actually meat consumption reach a saturation period, uh, uh, area, whereby consumption start to slow down and in fact, sometimes do decline. So it's between the two that whereby you can see a tremendous growth period. I think we are really uh, fortunate in the area in which we participate. We are actually in that sweet spot. So in the in the in the in the near term, maybe you do see some a bit of headwind because of the whole geopolitical and economic issue we are facing today. But if you look at medium long term, I think this is still very much a market whereby the consumption will continue uh, to go up. And we do believe we are, we are given our leading position. We are well positioned to capitalize on those uh, trends. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Tan Yongnang, Chief Executive Officer at Jabfa. And Yong, let's take a look at the supply side of things. We've seen how supply chains were disrupted during the pandemic. And last year, Malaysia banned chicken exports to ensure their domestic price stability. How does that influence the way in which you take the company forward? Because I understand you are testing an option to uh, supply fresh chicken to Singapore from Indonesia. And some 23,000 live chickens have been delivered. So tell us more about that. Yeah, since you're on this, so a bit of marketing, actually we do have another shipment coming in as we speak. So tomorrow, another shipment will still be coming in. So actually, actually at, at this stage, right, we are still testing, the making sure that the supply is smooth and all of the logistics is to be ironed out before we can really sort of uh, supply to Singapore on a consistent basis. And... As I alluded to just now, our business is really providing for the masses and the masses are in most of the other countries around Singapore and Singapore still at the end of the day still have a fairly uh, a smaller operation, a smaller population. Now, having said that, I think we are in a Singapore company and we are very keen to participate in Singapore's effort in terms of uh, supply or rather food uh, uh, self-sufficiency and food resiliency. Uh, that's area that we are very keen to participate. Yeah, I think historically, I think a lot of light chicken actually do come from uh, Malaysia. And because of, uh, uh, for ourselves, because our focus is a lot on uh, in, in Indonesia, for instance, every day, uh, 
every day we will produce what, two to three million chicken for the uh, Indonesian uh, market. And I do believe in whole Singapore consumption is probably five million chicken, uh, live chicken per, per week. Uh, so for us to participate in the Singapore market and to incremental increase of production to supply to Singapore, it is something that, that we finally got, got onto it with the opportunity opening up with uh, uh, Singapore uh, uh, government sort of pursuing a diversification strategy. We feel that this is a really good time for us to participate and uh, to be helpful in that mm. aspect. Mm. And let's talk a little bit about Jetfa's financial performance, Yongnang. Uh, the firm reported a 43 million, I believe it's US dollar loss for Q1 2023, which is a reversal from a 13.5 million profit in Q1 2022. And this, of course, coming on the back of uh, margin compression because you've got higher inflation uh, you know, meaning higher raw material prices, but inflationary pressures also mean that consumers can't spend as much. So tell us more about that and also how have the African swine fever weighed on your latest performance too? Yeah, I think in terms of um, consumer price uh, sort of pressure, right? Uh, yes, definitely does have an uh, impact on the uh, ability to consume. But not forgetting that we are stable protein. This is one of the cheapest protein. You know, you talk about chicken and pork. These are one of the cheapest protein that is available. And it is uh, our job to continue to make sure it's uh, affordable. But I think what we're seeing today is a double whammy. On the one hand, the economy, you know, the, the chicken price, uh, the, the protein prices is difficult to pass on. At the same time, you can see that the, the key is actually more the commodity prices has gone up for various factors, where the uh, supply disruption and things like that. Um, uh, I, I, I do believe, you know, in our kind of market, there's always a cycle. Um, I think uh, given it's a stable product, we tend to pass on the cost increase. But sometimes, so given the weak uh, economy, it's a bit harder. So it may take a bit longer time to pass on. And at the same time, I think the, the on the raw material side, it has its own cycle. Uh, hopefully, I think we are starting to see some uh, softening in commodity prices and obviously it's difficult to predict going forward but given what is going on hopefully over time the the softening of commodity prices will be will be a really strong uh, headwind for us as far as the company is concerned clearly i think if the demand is a bit reduced then i think all the all of us including ourselves and the major players we will take our steps by cutting some production we take a step by uh, reducing uh, our capital expenditure. We take steps in uh, recalibrate our growth, growth plan. Nonetheless, for not forgetting that what I said just now, the medium and long term, I think still is a very potentially uh, huge market. And in the, in the short term, I clearly we need to adjust our, our production locator for that. Now, your, your, your question about ESF, you know, uh, ESF is here to, to stay today. There is still no uh, vaccine. Uh, China has been fighting that problem for a long time. Uh, same, and that problem has also moved on to uh, Vietnam. Um, I would say this is that for we talk about the traditional farm versus the uh, the more modern farm. I would say that modern farm will be in a better position given that we control the environment better. Uh, we should be in a better position to weather the ASF. So at the, at the end of the day, I, I, I would say that there's still no vaccine uh, available. 
I think the only way to fight it is to have better biosecurity, better control, which I think we believe industrial players and modern formula hours will be more, much more well-placed than the uh, traditional uh, smaller players. Mm. Uh, for the sake of our listeners, ASF refers <coughs> to African swine fever, yeah? And uh, wrapping That's up right. the conversation, Yongnang, cultivated meat has been making the news quite a lot. In fact, if we search meat industry in one of our search engines, the first thing that comes out is cultivated meat. So what bearing will the rise of the cultivated meat industry have on traditional meat producers? I would say that the mass market is still very much um, dominated. Well, today it's actually very much dominated by the traditional staple products, staple proteins. But clearly, I think for uh, sort of alternative meat, you know, whether it's a plant-based or or, or, or cell-based meat, right? I think there will be a positioning over long term. There will be a niche positioning. Uh, how big it is is really difficult to speculate. I think. I think unlike our industry is very well um, accepted, the technology is a lot more stable and uh, consumer preference are very stable. Well, I think for alternative meat, you know, they do have their, it's, it's a very interesting proposition, but I think they do have their fair share of challenges. For instance, in terms of cost, I'm not sure today the cost is competitive versus our traditional way of uh, growing the uh, animal. In terms of technology, uh, are they fully there? Uh, in terms of, are they able to replicate all the all the nutrients and all the ingredients that we may not be aware of, and all the additive they put in, right? That, that's another issue. So to summary, I don't think it's something we should sort of put it aside. Or I, I think in the long term, it will be a niche or certain market, maybe for some uh, for some uh, high-end customer who can afford uh, a lot more expensive uh, uh, kind of product, may may have certain focus, uh, may have certain um, uh, interest in in that kind of area. Uh, uh, but I think by and large, I think we will continue to lower costs. We'll continue to do what is necessary. I think I think we do have some some issues and challenges on the traditional side, for instance, like environmental, animal health, uh, safety, and things like that. And those are the areas I think the industry are always taking steps to try to uh, address them. Uh, so I think it's a matter of time, you know, just enough time given. I think those are something that we, we will, will try to address as well. Mm, and very quickly, before we let you go, Yongnang, what is the outlook ahead for Jabfast business? What can we expect in the second half of this uh, fiscal year? Well, it's difficult to forecast, but if I want to sort of... Uh, uh, Put myself out there, right? Even even uh, even that last year, we always say that in my budget last year, we say that this is a year of two halves. First half because of momentum coming from last year, it will be challenging, and we have witnessed that it has been challenging. And but I, I think we are starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. I think we are starting to see um, that our ability to pass on prices seems to be better. Uh, we are starting to see some softening in commodity prices. I think those are the two major driving force uh, that will that will uh, give us uh, lead us into the second half of uh, this year. So I would say I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful on second half. And but please don't quote me because I think notoriously it is really difficult to predict uh, uh, um, our 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 protein prices. And likewise, it's really difficult to predict uh, commodity prices. Mm. Thanks a lot, Yongnang. That was Tan Yongnang, CEO of Jabfa. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, 
Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.